Greetings, welcome to The Dividing Line. My name is James White. We have so much to talk about today, I don't even know if I'm going to remember all of it. Something tells me I'm going to forget some of it somewhere along the way. But I wanted to uh, start off uh, with an explanation of my tie. Haven't seen one of these for a while, I'm sure. And uh, some of you are too young to actually recognize uh, this particular tie. For those of you who are wondering, yes, there is a gold chain uh, on the back, so that tells you uh, what this uh, what this is. This is a Rush Limbaugh tie. Now, I I wore Rush Limbaugh ties from whenever it was he started making them. I think in the early '90s, yeah, somewhere around that time period. Um, they are obviously they are to ties what Coogees are to sweaters. They are amazingly bright. Uh, you can tell a Limbaugh tie from, well, actually, you can tell a Limbaugh tie from at least 40 yards away. Uh, the reason I say that is I got to pass out a tract to Senator, what was that guy's name? Orrin Hatch. Man, he, when did he retire? Is he still alive, I wonder? Because he was pretty old back then. But Senator Orrin Hatch at the General Conference of the Mormon Church at the, uh, the south gate of the Mormon Temple. And he took a track from me. You know why he took a track from me? Because I was wearing a rush tie. And so was he. He spotted my rush tie. I spotted his. We, we laughed. And he took, took my track as a result. Um, uh, when my son first went up there with me to uh, Salt Lake City, he had a Rush Limbaugh, Limbaugh kids tie, the zip-up type uh, for, for little people. And um, so... Uh, I still have, I have not sold, gotten rid of, thrown out any of my uh, Limbaugh ties. I, I just don't wear a whole lot of regular ties. I've actually had, uh, I should, uh, I've actually had uh, one or two uh, Limbaugh ties converted to bow ties. There's a, a bow ties limited of Vermont will um, take a full length tie and, and cut it down and, and put it into a bow tie. So I may be one of the only people with both uh, Rush Limbaugh bow ties and Coogee bow ties. I have some Coogee bow ties as well because Coogee also makes ties. Um, and I have a number of those uh, as well. The reason I'm wearing it, something happened yesterday. Um, Matt Walsh uh, tweeted something about Rush's battle with uh, stage 4 lung cancer. And I had heard that... Sometime earlier in the week, I guess, uh, Rush had given a update. It was not a positive update uh, about his battle with lung cancer. And in the process, had uh, given a brief but fairly straightforward testimony of faith in Christ. Now, you know David Limbaugh, his brother, is a well-known Christian writer. And so... Um, we could certainly hope that that is the case and that there is a, uh, a true uh, repentance and faith there and relationship there. That would be, that would be a wonderful thing. Um, but I either retweeted and made a comment. I, I retweeted what Walsh ha uh, had because when I looked at the comments, I, I was just stunned at the barbaric, vile spewing of subhuman hatred 
from so many people at the very mention of Rush Limbaugh's name. And when I retweeted it with a comment, they all jumped onto my thread as well. I mean, there are literally people who sit there trolling the Internet just so they can post nastiness. Uh, they obviously have some type of search parameter set up for Limbaugh. And so I thought, you know what? I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna wear one of my Rush Limbaugh ties, and there's gonna be a few people that are absolutely jealous that I have, I still have, I continue to have, a an extensive collection. Um, I went into debt. I, I made nothing back then. Uh, I went into debt to buy Limbaugh ties back then, and I could probably make a pretty penny selling them now. Uh, but uh, I have not done so, and uh, they remain beautiful ties. They were well made, and of course I love. Very very colorful things, and so this was this was the flame. There's a I've got there's a red version. He do he do different colored uh, color scheme versions of these ties, and uh, there's a there's a red one of these. I think that, I think there's a blue one. I've I've given you some Limbaugh ties over the over the years, as I recall. That was that used to be one of my one of my uh, gifts that I would uh, give friends would be uh, Limbaugh ties, and so there are. Pictures of all of us running around. I think uh, the gobbler had one, and uh, uh, maybe I gave one to Warren. I don't. I don't recall. But uh, um, anyway, so um, I'm wearing a Rush Limbaugh tie, tie today in uh, in honor of uh, Rush's fight against uh, lung cancer, and uh, in light of the nasty, vile people that are already dancing on his grave. Um, says says a lot to me about a lot of things. Anyway. So, thank you, Pope Francis. <laughs> um, we have a lot to talk about today, and almost all of it is connected in one way or another uh, to the Roman Catholic Church. Not all of it. Um, John Piper's uh, article is not uh, connected in that particular fashion, but they are all interestingly relevant. What's interesting is the first article that I want to talk about from Pope Francis had nothing to do with the, the documentary film that has not yet appeared in English. Uh, everything that blew up yesterday, my feed exploded, Facebook, Twitter, simply exploded with uh, people reposting um, the assertion that Pope Francis... Uh, has now announced support for same-sex civil unions. And what was interesting is I already had lined up what I think is actually, in some sense, a more important papal statement uh, that came out the week before. Uh, this was from October 20th. Well, actually, this is October 20th. That can't be that. This, But this was earlier than that. Uh, there is a papal uh, statement called Fratelli Tutti, and Latin just does things like that. Uh, Fratelli Tutti. And in this statement, Pope Francis demonstrates once again that he is a Marxist. Um, and that is not really surprising um, to anyone. 
yesterday I had a few exchanges with a Roman Catholic who follows me on Twitter. It was sad because he seems like a really sharp guy, but there is, there is, there's no limitation as to how far he will go in uh, his defense of Pope Francis. The, the spinning, uh, just astonishing. And eventually he got down to the, well, there was no Bible for 400 years stuff and just all that kind of silliness that is, is their version, their level of Jack Chick style stuff, to be perfectly honest with you. That's just, just amazing. You can't read the early church fathers without realizing how dependent they were upon scripture. But anyway, um, what you have to do with Francis is you have to recognize that he came from South America and the Roman Catholic Church of South America has been <clears throat> infested, not infected, <clears throat> excuse me, I did a hour-plus-long uh, program right before this uh, with, with Les, Les Lanfear, so um, my voice may start getting, I was talking loudly then, um, not because we were arguing about anything, just... Uh, we we're actually talking about the image of God, um, but uh, is the 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 Catholic Church, the Roman Catholic Church in South America, is not infected by but infested by liberation theology. And liberation theology is a mixture of Marxism um, and with with religious categories. And Pope Francis comes straight out of that milieu everybody knew that's where he was that's this isn't some this isn't like oh we had no idea no that uh, when when he was chosen it was known that this was where he's coming from and in fratelli tutti uh we are informed by pope francis now what's important about this is Fratelli Tutti is a part of Francis's normal teaching office. A documentary is not. And so one of the excuses, one of the things that is being put out right now is, look, um, you know, this is probably in translation. Um, if, if it's not, you know, put out in Latin with the, all the official signatures and things like that, this really doesn't represent anything. All, all of that has become rather trite. So when we look at what he said about same-sex civil unions and stuff like that, no, this is not a new papal pronouncement. He did, he did not come out and say, I define, pronounce, and proclaim uh, that homosexuals should have the right to marry, okay? Uh, that would cause an immediate revolution. There isn't any question about what his views are, despite that. But let's be aware of what's really there. Anyway, this is a part of his normal teaching office as the Bishop of Rome. And as the Bishop of Rome, he is promoting the idea that personal property is a secondary right. It's not a primary right. And he is functioning upon a uh, extremely fallacious, fallacious uh, understanding. Let me just... Uh, in Fratelli Tutti, Francis first claims that Christian thinkers understood that, quote, 
If one person lacks what is necessary to live with dignity, it is because another person is detaining it, end quote. So, in other words, he's functioning on what's called the zero-sum game. There's only so much stuff, and if someone doesn't have enough stuff, it's because somebody else has too much stuff. He has criticized top-down economic, trickle-down economics. He does not believe uh, that, and, and simply won't recognize that historically... What has relieved poverty has never been Marxism. It's never been liberation theology. It's never been socialism. Socialism just makes everyone equally poor. What has relieved so much of the world's poverty has been the expansion of the economy through capitalism. Expansion. So if there's not enough of the pie, you bake a bigger pie. He is functioning on the idea that there's only one pie, and it's only so big, and so you need to get a smaller piece of the pie so somebody else can have a bigger piece of the pie. Now, that obviously is working in most of our universities now, too. Um, but it's been proven to be untrue around the world. That's what the last century showed us. But this is what Francis is promoting now as the Bishop of Rome. Now, my Roman Catholic friends, look, I understand why you do not want to hear from me that the Bishop of Rome is wildly out of step with his predecessors, with the history of the Roman Catholic Church, and that he is deeply influenced by fundamentally anti-Christian worldviews. You don't want to hear that from me. I've been debating you folks for decades. And so that make make it hard for you to accept the reality from me. But it was a couple years ago that I listened to this lengthy um, YouTube video from some, at least one guy who used to be associated with Catholic Answers, isn't any longer. Uh, and it was, uh, some, the title was something along the line, taking the red pill about Pope Francis or red pilling Pope Francis or something like that. And it's of course taken from the matrix. You, you take the blue pill, you stay in the matrix, you take the red pill and you're disconnected from the matrix and you start seeing what's really going on. And so taking the red pill is transitioning from the dream world to the real world. And y'all need to take the red pill. Okay, more and more y'all are doing it. You're just being forced to do it to realize, okay, yeah, you know what? It's really obvious. Um, John Paul II would not write Fratelli Tutti. And he fought against communism. And I can... I can just say these are all personal views of a pope until the cows come home. But the reality is he is assigning people to the papal biblical commission and all the other papal commissions that write all of the documents and decide who's teaching where and who's going to be in what office. 
all across the world based upon his personal beliefs, which would have gotten him burned at the stake under his predecessors. Not under Ratzinger or something like that, not under Benedict. But I mean, when you could still burn people at the stake, go, go back as far as you want to go to the last execution by burning at the stake that Rome was responsible for, whenever that is. It's not that long ago. Um, Francis would have been burned at the stake. He would have been burned at the stake. There's no question about it. Saying the things he said, not just about natural uh, property rights and natural law and everything else, but what he said about atheism, homosexuality, um, you know, uh, all these things, he would have been burned at the stake. So you have to deal with what that means. And invoking some kind of development hypothesis is not enough. There has been, there is a fundamental epistemological contradiction between saying that one man is the infallible vicar of Christ and another man is also infallible vicar of Christ, but the one would have burned the other. There, there's, there's a problem here. You can, you can spin it, you can stand on your head, you can hold your breath, you can do whatever you want. You have a problem with the authority claims of your church. You put all of your eggs in one basket after the Council of Constance. When for a moment, conciliarism looked like it might get someplace, the Pope crushed it. And once Newman collapsed, and Vatican I takes place, you're stuck with this. There's no way out of it for you. And you're stuck with Francis and what Francis's teachings mean. And so your own church is teaching in its... What's, what's, he, what's he been doing with the Universal Catholic Catechism? He changed that for what? to get rid of any possibility of capital punishment being a valid action of a government. Any. That goes against... <laughs> we were just saying, go back to the last time that the Roman Catholic Church executed someone by burning them at the stake. Uh, now we have the Pope saying, there's never a time when that's appropriate. Okay. What does that tell you? Uh, that tells you there's been a fundamental change, hasn't there? Yes, yes, indeed. Yes, indeed, there has. Now, so, <clears throat> this is in a papal document, and this provides, I think, an important context for what then came out with the statements in a, a film called Francesco. And in... According to reports, on Wednesday, this documentary premiered in Rome, and according to the translation, he said, quote, homosexuals have a right to be a part of the family. 
they're children of God and have a right to a family. Nobody should be thrown out or be made miserable because of it. Then it says, after these remarks and in comments likely to spark controversy among Catholics, Pope Francis weighed in directly on the issue of civil unions for same-sex couples, quote, what we have to create is a civil union law. That way they are legally covered, the Pope said. I stood up for that. Now, when it says, I stood up for that, that tells me he's talking about something from the past. And I'll be really interested to know exactly what something from the past that was in reference to. So, however you look at this, the, um, the makers of the film found a good way for people to want to watch it. <laughs> if there's a rental fee or something, uh, more than one of us are going to be taking the time to... Uh, to look at it, because we know that historically the Roman Catholic Church has identified homosexuality as a sin. Obviously, up until the past 60 years or so, it was there wasn't any nuance in that. It wasn't just a uh, disordered desire, a, a state of disordered sexual desire. Uh, it was a sin that would preclude you from the kingdom of heaven. It was uh, clearly a mortal sin. Now, there is a long, long history. We can go back to the Lollards. The Lollards had songs about the homosexual corruption of the Roman priesthood, and that was in the 1300s. So Rome's, Rome's history with homosexuality a self-inflicted history. When you ignore what Scripture says, do not forbid marriage. Um, there you go. Um, and I know, I know what the answers are. I debated Paco on it. I know what the answers are. Well, I'm married to the church. Well, that's that's not what he was. That's not what Paul was talking about. And again, you can close your eyes to the reality of what has brought this about. All you want it doesn't change the truth. But. At least Rome's morality and ethics on the subject have remained primarily unchanged for a long, long time, despite her practice in the highest, highest corridors of the Vatican, highest corridors of the Vatican. But now you have this, and it makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. The liberation theologians in South America who are applauding Francis for saying that private property ownership is a secondary right, um, they're all on the LGBTQIRSTUV bandwagon. So this makes perfect sense. And once you've adopted the worldview that Francis has been giving evidence of for a long time, time now. Oh, little boy, your atheist father died, but he had you baptized. Therefore, he went to heaven. Once you've got that kind of expression, who am I to judge homosexuals? That was years ago. Once you've got that going on, you know where the guy actually stands. The, the only question is going to be, will his personal views 
get expressed formally? That's the only question. And if in a documentary the Pope actually says that he stood up for creating a civil union law, we all know how that worked. Remember, well, maybe we all don't know how that worked. It must be getting dry. No apple cider today, um, but it still tastes good. Uh, cold water is a, a wonderful thing. <clears throat> find, find, find a way to hide it so he can't sit on it to say something? He doesn't really have to sit on it. That's, uh, that's the problem. That's the problem. Um, remember, some of you aren't old enough to remember this, but before Obergefell... And before the push for that, this civil unions thing was quite possible. That, that was the first step. Okay, we're not talking marriage. Okay, marriage, yeah, it's a man and woman. That's, you know, that's what him, humankind's always said. We're, you know, we're not talking about that. But, yeah, you know, um, how about something that would, you know, allow for property to be shared and, you know, it would give some of the benefits of marriage. We, won't, we don't want to call it marriage, and so that's what the Pope's talking about. We, we, we don't want to call it marriage. Well, why don't you want to call it marriage? Well, because within Roman Catholicism, that, that's a sacramental thing. And, and yeah, that'd be really hard to just come straight out and obergefell the Roman Catholic Church. Could Francis do that? Of course he could. That's the, that's the, that's the problem with the system. And the faithful Roman Catholic says... He could, but he can't, because God will strike him dead first. <laughs> because it's so obvious. The problem is, if you have Francis now, who's the next guy? And the next guy is going to come from a cardinal, a college of cardinals that's been packed, in the traditional historical sense of packed, by Francis. Okay? So, I know that there was a day when Boston College taught historical, traditional Roman Catholic beliefs. Boston College doesn't today. You think that happened overnight? No, it happened over decades, over a century. Has, they had time to do it. And that's what you're seeing in the papacy. And the result is that what is taught at Boston College today is basically a 180-degree opposite mirror of what was taught there not overly long ago. So you can, again, to my Roman Catholic friends, you can say, it's just a documentary. It's just a private opinion. It's just, he's just talking about civil unions. But you know in your heart of hearts, this is how it's done. This is how the, revela the revolution is accomplished. No, this is not a binding statement. You can't say that the Pope has infallibly said that civil unions are the law of the church. He hasn't yet. Could never happen. Really? I would think 2020 has taught most of us to avoid making the statement it could never happen. <laughs> because <clears throat> In, in January of this year, 
If you had told people the things we have voluntarily submitted ourselves to, uh, we would have said, no, no way. The, the citizens, I was in Melbourne last year. And if you, as, as we sat there, we had fish and chips at this wonderful place on the, on the beach. Really good fish and chips. And if you had told me then that within a year, the citizens of that city could not move more than 5,000 meters from their homes and only when wearing masks, even going that far. I was said, what, what, what black helicopter theory are you talking about? But that's the way it is right now, right now as we speak. So let's, let's not do the, uh, it could never happen. Uh, it could. The system has no way of stopping it. And remember, I've told you many times before, years and years ago, I pointed out a stark contrast between the statement of John Paul II and that of one of his predecessors long before, one of the innocents, I think it was Innocent III or Tenth or something like that, where they said the exact opposite things about the same subject. And a Roman Catholic apologist, Robertson Genis, responded by saying, James, you have no right to interpret the teachings of the church. Only the church can interpret her own teachings infallibly. So what if Francis's successor does say that civil union laws are just and righteous? Because that's what Francis is saying, and that this is the law of the church. And that uh, homosexuals who enter into these civil unions will be accepted uh, to mass and will be members in good standing in the church. And you say, but that is against what we've taught. Who gets to interpret what has been taught? The guy making the rule. That's what your whole system's about. You can say, but, but the people back then didn't understand that. That's just your fallible reasoning. Submit to the Holy Father. You've got no way out of it. Because you've created your entire epistemological system. You're the ones that sat around saying, you can't have a canon of Scripture without us defining it. You can't have Scripture without us defining it. And I've been trying to tell you for decades, you believe in sola ecclesia. And the more you fight it, the more you prove it. And you say, no, we have a <clears throat> tripartite system. No, you don't. Pointed out before, what is scripture? Rome tells you. What does scripture mean? Rome tells you. What's tradition? Rome tells you. What does tradition mean? Rome tells you. You can't be corrected by scripture and tradition in that situation. And so if the Pope says it, you're stuck with it. I've been seeing people all over the place. <clears throat> that, that, that can never happen. They, they'd remove him. What do you mean they'd remove him? There's, there's no system in place to do that. What are you doing? <clears throat> It just occurred to me when you said that, it's, okay, so the predecessor says this is the law, and then does the development thing, and it always has been. Right. He just does, they shoehorn it right back into history, and next thing you know, we're going to find some early father that used some language that was a little bit off the beaten path and go, see, we've always believed it. It's always been the doctrine of the church. That is how Rome interprets the early fathers, all the fathers. On everything. Look, you can't complain. 
you people have been ransacking the Bible looking for anything about Mary that you want to read into. You can't complain if they t- treat dealer church fathers the same way and find some wacky thing to say, ah, there it is. You got no way around it. You have your ultimate authority. It's unreformable because you bowed in the 1870s to Vatican I, which said the Pope's infallible. You're stuck with it. That's all there is to it. It's a circular, broken epistemology, and you're watching the wheels. Right now, you ever watch one of those situations on a, somebody's on their car? And it comes off, and, and that's, that's where you are. Artie Johnson on the tricycle. I was a Christian. I didn't. I, I, I didn't. I didn't watch that back then. No, I remember laughing, but 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 we weren't really allowed to watch that. No, no, we weren't allowed to watch that. No. So, but I do. I do know what you're talking about. I know you're a pagan, so that's all right. That, that's okay. I have to. I have to deny that I have any knowledge of that. Anyway. So, so. So yeah, so I've, so there's all these people. Uh, I, I mean, it is sort of funny to watch Protestants dealing with the Pope and not knowing, not recognizing the difference between a, a documentary and infallible statement, or um, you know, saying, "Ah, oh, the Pope has come out and he's now approved this or approved." No, he he did a documentary where he said that homosexuals should be able to have a civil union so that they can, they can have a family. Now, that's problematic, but it's not an official definition. That should be enough to make any Roman Catholic go, this Pope is absolutely compromised. Worldview, theology, everything. I mean... I can't imagine what it's like to be a believing Roman Catholic right now. There was this guy, what was it, Delaney, was his, that was his name, on Twitter. Obviously intelligent fellow, but the, the depth he was having to go to, to spin everything that is so obvious about Francis, it's just, it's, it's prostitution of the mind, it really is. You've got to take the red pill and go, this guy's off. I mean, at least some of you are finally going, you know what? We've had some, we've had some anti-popes in the past. And we're in a situation where you have an anti-pope. That, 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 that would make sense because there's all sorts of times. Uh, read J.D. Kelly's History of the Popes. Uh, there's, there's all sorts of times when you've had popes that, History has basically said, yeah, not really. <laughs> I mean, that sort of gives the lie to the unbroken succession thing, too. But the point is, there's, aside from the Babylonian captivity of the church, where you had three popes, up to three popes, for, for decades you had two popes, busily anathematizing the other pope. Nobody knew which one was the right one. And then eventually you had three popes, and then the Council of Constance came along, fixed all that, and you moved on from there and burned Yan Hus for the fun of it. Anyway, uh, this idea of anti-popes is not unknown at all, and I would imagine there's probably a number of people that are going, yeah, I think it's time to go back to that. They don't like the instability that creates. It's one thing to talk about it 800 years ago. It's another thing to talk about right now, because that makes it very practically impossible for you to be doing a lot of the apologetics you normally do. 
Um, yeah, that that last convocation, uh, evidently the Holy Spirit wasn't able to get everybody to vote for the right guy. And so here we have the problem. Maybe they can just blame it on, uh, hey, you know, I hadn't even thought about it, but some of you might just be sitting there going, this guy's, not, this guy's the anti-pope because Benedict's still alive. Benedict's not dead. And I can guarantee you, if Benedict is still functional, he's spitting, spitting his teeth out uh, at this kind of stuff. Oh. <laughs> but no, you could, you could make the argument that that's, that's, how you, that's how you rescue it, is you, you make the argument that Benedict is still the current proper pope. Francis is an anti-pope. And whoever comes in next heals the schism or something. I, I don't know. Hey, Rome has done weirder things uh, than 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 this. But I'm looking forward to the documentary. It's going to be interesting. There's probably some other stuff in there. Um, but what we're what we're looking at here is not an official declaration, but it is a clear documentation of the fact that the current Pope would be toasted by most of his predecessors. Yeah, not, not just the extra dark toast. We're, we're, we're talking fry baby toast um, by his predecessors. That's a fact, and you have to think through what that means. Now, if you want to continue believing in him, you'll find a way to do it. That's, that's what Twitter has proven. That's what Twitter has proven, is you'll, you'll find a way to do it. It's sad, but it's true. But it's true. Um, now, somewhere along the same line, someone sent me this, and um, are, are you able to use this? Um, it looks familiar, doesn't it? In fact, the way, it, the way I'm looking at it here, shirt and everything else, this... Looks like the same one. It that 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 can't. That does look like the same one. That is the same one. Uh, wrong one. All right. There we go. There we go. Different shirt. <laughs> there we go. Almost started the wrong, the wrong one there. But we'll we'll get it right here. Different shirt. So and a different host there. <laughs> got it. Got to figure out which ones. Um. Hopefully this is cued to the right spot. It doesn't look like that. It is. Oh no, no, it is. It is. Someone sent this to me, and what's interesting is again we're still on the subject of Roman Catholicism. We are before the program ends. I do want to talk about John Piper uh, and his article, and I've already responded to it briefly. But I want to talk about some more. This is a very interesting uh, clip. I was informed about it, uh, I think, via YouTube uh, or Facebook Messenger. And it has to do with a um, battle that's going on amongst Roman Catholics about this clip, which has pitted Tim Staples. Um, against some other Roman Catholics that know a little bit more about Islam. Uh, 
Um, some of whom don't like me at all. Let's just let's just put it that way. I'll let you figure that out from there. Rome does have a serious, serious. Okay, Robert Spencer. Um, Rome has a very serious problem in regards to Islam, and I'll tell you why. This is the Universal Catholic Catechism, and again, it can be changed at the whim of the Pope, but it currently reads, The Church's relationship with the Muslims, the plan of salvation, this is a quote from Lumen Gentium, the plan of salvation also includes those who acknowledge the Creator in the first place amongst whom are the Muslims. These profess to hold the faith of Abraham, and now listen, and together with us, they adore the one merciful God, mankind's judge on the last day. That's Lumen Gentium 16. So from Vatican II. But it's in the Universal Catechism. So this again raises the question, what is infallible teaching? Because there are people, who, there are people like Tim Staples who will say, well, Vatican II is just a pastoral council. It didn't promulgate anything new. And there are a lot of people who try to... Um, downplay the doctrinal authority of Vatican II. The problem is, if you then take a statement from Vatican II and quote it verbatim in the Universal Catholic Catechism, and the popes have known this, multiple popes have known the content of this, how is that not representative of the official teaching of the Church? Seems to me rather obviously that it is representative of the official teaching of the church. And so the church says, now if it just simply said, these profess to hold the faith of Abraham, okay, duh, that's, yeah, they claim to hold the faith of Abraham, with differences, but to, to worship the God of Abraham. And they would say that we have gone into excess and though we all claim to be worshiping the same God, there are fundamental differences as to what we believe. But it's not what all it says. It says, and together with us, and this is Rome speaking for all Christians, together with us, they adore the one merciful God. I don't know how you avoid the reality that what this is saying is that there is true worship of the one God taking place in Islamic worship. Rejecting Jesus Christ as the Son of God. Identifying the worship of Jesus as shirk. Denying that he died on a cross. Denying that he rose again the third day. But worshiping the one true God. Here's the problem with Romanism. All through this, you'll have the idea that all mankind are the children of, of God. No recognition of Jesus' plain teaching. You're your father the devil. You have to be born again by faith in Jesus Christ to be in the family of God. Rome doesn't believe that. Not anymore. Once did. Doesn't anymore. This is part of the change of doctrine and teaching over time. But especially in regards to Islam, we adore the one true God. Together with us, adore the one true God. So, with that as a background, let's listen to this clip from Catholic Answers Live that has caused um, 
controversy even amongst Roman Catholics. Regarding the teaching of the catechism about uh, Muslims worshiping the same God, yes. or to put it in the, the language that says, together with us, they adore the one merciful God. Yes. So how does that unify with what Jesus says in John chapter 5, that whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him? Great question. And here's the key. I always like to go to texts like John 14, 6 to clarify on this point, because Jesus also says in even more plain terms than the verse you just gave, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me, right? And so how in the world can anybody be saved other than those who know Jesus? And of course, we believe as Catholics that there's the possibility of salvation for those who have never rejected Jesus. And why do we say that? Because if you go to the next chapter in, in John 15, verse 22, Jesus says, if I had not spoken to them, they would have no sin. Now I have spoken to them, their sin remains. Notice how Jesus there teaches that you're not responsible for what you did not know. And we would add in our Catholic theology what you could not have known, what you were not responsible to have known. And so, yes, it is absolutely true that if you don't honor the Son, you're not honoring the Father. But what's implied there is that you know it. To knowingly reject the Son is to reject the Father. But again, Jesus says, if I had not spoken to them, they would have no sin. In other words, you're not responsible. This is what the church understands as invincible ignorance. That is, not just ignorance. And remember, ignorance is never bliss. Ignorance is a bummer, and it's dangerous. It's invincible ignorance that can mitigate culpability. If you're ignorant in, in the sense that you should have known, then that itself is a sin. In other words, if you purposely stuck your fingers in your ears when sister was teaching at Catholic school so you wouldn't be culpable, guess what? You are culpable. All right? But that's the key, my brother. That's not contract. See, the, the Catechism, paragraph 841, which is quoting... Lumen Gentium, paragraph 16 in the Dogmatic Constitution of the Church, is not contradicting Jesus Christ. Jesus' Church is simply elucidating what Jesus teaches. Does that make sense, Brad? It does help. Would you then say that like those Muslims who do hear about Christ and reject him, would the Catechism teaching not apply to them then? Exactly. But... We, we need to add a caveat here. You and I are not the ones that can make that judgment. Only God can. Because just, and th- this has been a mistake a lot of Christians make. Just because somebody hears, even if it's a great saint, proclaiming the gospel, does not mean they, comp- mean they comprehend it, especially with regard to the great mystery of the Trinity, for example, which requires supernatural grace to comprehend anyway. We are not the ones that can make the judgment. Ah, that guy heard the gospel. Man, he's cooking because he's still Muslim. No, that is in the internal forum where God alone can judge. But in principle, what you're saying is absolutely correct. 
The Muslim who has heard the gospel and in his heart of hearts said, wow, there's something true here, but uh, no, no, I'm going to reject that because my whole family. That's when all those verses of scripture, you know, unless you take up your cross, if you put father, mother, wife, lands, anything before me, you are not worthy of me and you will be lost because, you know, we just read on Sunday that great gospel um, from Matthew's gospel, chapter 16, verses 21 through 27, which comes right after the promise of the keys of the kingdom, which I love. Right after that promise, Jesus says, the Son of Man has to go to the cross. And, and Peter says, no way, no way. Didn't you get the memo? We're going to take over the world. And what does Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan, because thou savest not the things which are of God, but the things which are of men. And then after he hammers Peter... He goes on to say, unless a man, unless you take up your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. If you love your life more than me, you cannot be my disciple. What does it profit a man? Verse 26 says, if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul. It's when you have knowledge of who Jesus is that all those verses kick in place for you. And you must choose to follow Jesus or you will be lost. Okay, so... What you didn't hear uh, in any of that um, was any discussion whatsoever of what the nature of worship is, object of worship is, and the fact that Islam comes after Christianity, that the Quran talks about Jesus, but gives a false Jesus, and hence you combine that with the quasi- not necessarily universalism, but inclusivism of the Second Vatican Council, and you get this confused response that doesn't actually deal with the fact that Lumen Gentium says they are worshiping God. So, you can worship God, you're worshiping with Catholics, because it's Catholics talking here, so the Catholics and the Muslims are worshiping the one true God, even though the Muslim holy book identifies the worship of Jesus as shirk, as the unpardonable sin, as idolatry. This is why you need sola scriptura, <laughs> okay? This, Francis is why you need sola scriptura. Francis on private property, Francis on same-sex unions, Francis on anything is why you need sola scriptura. So, so Francis on... Uh, atheist fathers having their little kids baptized means that atheist fathers go to heaven. That's why you need Sola Scriptura. And Tim Staples, standing on his head, spinning around, not dealing with the real issue of Section 841 of the Universal Catholic Catechism, Lumen Gentium, Chapter 16, Section 16, Paragraph 16, um, is why you need Sola Scriptura. So, what is the real issue? The real issue is the object of worship. Who are we worshiping? And does Islam, coming after the clear identification of the Christian faith and denying that, worship the same God? And I don't believe we're worshiping the same God. I know we're claiming that. We claim 
that Yahweh, though that's a term very rarely used amongst Muslims, that Yahweh is the one true God. And that we are worshiping the same God that Abraham worshipped. But there has been a few thousand years of church history since then. A few thousand years of history since then. Don't call it church history. And so the question has to be asked in our context here now, not back there somewhere. And there has been this revelation that has taken place in the person of Jesus Christ. And so that question can only be asked in our context now. In our context now. And so I didn't delve too deeply into it, but I, I got the strong suspicion that Robert Spencer, I, I don't know how Robert Spencer de- deals with Section 841, but there was evidently something that Tim Staples said at that point, because it sounded like Staples was basically saying that, yes, the Muslim who does not know what Christians believe is worshiping the same God, as Section 841 says, but in ignorance. But if he finds out differently, then he's in trouble. So why do we send missionaries? I mean, if they're worshiping the same God, it sounds like we're being told that they're going to be okay. Unless we send missionaries and they reject the missionaries, then they're not going to be okay. So why do we send the missionaries again? I don't know. Very confusing. Uh, but that's the problem with, um, with Roman Catholicism, is, um, is that issue. Okay. This morning, I saw an article posted by John Piper. It's titled, Policies, Persons, and Paths, Paths to Ruin. It's on Desiring God. I think it's the primary uh, article. Yep, if you just bring up... Desiring God, dated uh, today, October 22nd. This article is probably, let's go ahead and bring it over here. This article is probably as close as you will get to an answer on how I will vote in the upcoming presidential election. Probably right. Only God knows what may happen in the next days. So it sounds like he's going to vote for somebody. Nothing I say here is intended to dictate how anyone else should vote, but rather to point to a perspective that seems to be neglected. Yes, this perspective sways my vote. But you need not be sinning if you weigh matters differently. Okay, I appreciate that anyways. Actually, this is a long overdue article attempt to explain why I remain baffled that so many Christians, here's, here's the issue, that so many Christians consider the sins of unrepentant sexual immorality, pornaya, unrepentant boastfulness, aloxania, unrepentant vulgarity, iscrologia, unrepentant factiousness, decostasia, and that's that's just discussed to CI and the like to be only toxic for our nation while policies that endorse baby killing, sex switching, freedom limiting, and socialistic overreach are viewed as deadly. So, in other words, it seems like if I'm following him here, he's saying that sexual immorality, unrepentant boastfulness, unrepentant vulgarity, and unrepentant factiousness are considered toxic. But baby-killing, sex-switching, freedom-limiting, and socialistic overreach are viewed as deadly. Okay? 
The reason I put those Greek words in parentheses is to give a graphic reminder. These are sins mentioned in the New Testament. To be more specific, they are sins that destroy people. They are not just deadly. They are deadly forever. They lead to eternal destruction. They destroy persons, and through persons, they destroy nations. Okay? Forgiveness through Christ is always possible, where there is repentance and childlike trust in Jesus, but where humble repentance is absent, the sins condemn. The New Testament teaches that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, and those who practice such things deserve to die. To which you say, so what? Rejecting Jesus as Lord also leads to death. But you are willing to vote for a non-Christian, aren't you? I am assuming there is enough overlap between biblical uprightness and the visible outworking of his character and convictions. So, immediately, immediately, something I've said repeatedly, I have to, to bring up here. Uh, I disagree with John Piper that this is an election about the moral standing of either Donald J. Trump or Joseph, whatever his middle name, Biden. This is an election about whether there will be an election in 2024. This was an election as to whether there will be a constitution in 2024. This is an election as to whether the United States will become like California before 2024, where you can be a Republican all you want in 2024, in California, I mean, and your vote means nothing, and you know it. There are no, nation, there are no uh, statewide Republican office holders because it's all been rigged. You can't win. It's not possible. There's one, one party rule, and they get to do whatever they want to do. And that's what the United States will be in 2024 if Harris wins. Remember, I don't consider Joseph Biden... Every day he gets less and less a meaningful candidate. The scandals right now, truly amazing. Um, I do suggest that uh, Donald Trump, while his microphone is on for the few moments that it will be this evening, um, that he, uh, he go, uh, hey, Joe, uh, how do you say, was it big man? How do you say big man in Chinese? <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my suggestion. <laughs> Big, just, yeah, don't call him Joe. Just call him Big Man. Yeah, that, yeah. Anyway, I, I think Harris is, is the worldview carrier. Because Joe has had all sorts of different worldviews. He doesn't know what a worldview is. He, it's, it's whatever he's told to say. So uh, the man is non-compass menace. Anyway, uh, it's not about either of those two men. This is about two fundamentally different worldviews. And one of those worldviews, we already... We, we know both of them. We've lived the one in the United States for a couple centuries, and we know the other one. It killed 125 million people in the last century. That's what we're voting between. And for some reason, John Piper thinks that uh, Donald Trump's unrepentant uh, foul mouth is equal to the worldview that killed 125 million people. Okay. Um, all right. Um, in fact, I think it's a drastic mistake to think the deadly influences of a leader come only through his policies and not also through his person. Uh, well, I just stop for there and just, just point out. Um, in our system, it's not supposed to work that way at all. It's becoming more and more that way, thanks to the left. With the division of powers, it's not supposed to be about the person. Um, but again, 
the person of Joe Biden or Kamala Harris is cannot be separated from the worldview. Policies are based upon worldview. He's using old language. Policies used to be policies that Americans together could disagree on. This is about the dismantling of the American system. This isn't a policy. This is destruction. This is revolution. Um, he may not believe that. I don't know. If he doesn't, he has a much higher view of Kamala Harris and Joe Biden than I do. This is true not only because flagrant boastfulness, vulgarity, immorality, and factiousness are self-incriminating, but also because they are nation-corrupting. They move out from centers of influence to infect whole cultures. The last five years bear vivid witness to this infection at almost every level of society. This truth is not uniquely... Now, let me just stop a second. It, it sounds like what he's saying is so much of what we're seeing in our country is due to per- people personally trying to imitate the sins of Donald Trump. I, I don't think that's had almost anything to do with anything. I, there may be some people, but um, the city's burning down. Uh, your own city, city burning down had nothing to do with this. The, the people destroying the city of Minneapolis had nothing to do with Donald Trump's uh, vulgarities. That's a worldview issue. These are Marxists. And my concern is, from what I'm reading here, it almost sounded to me like Dr. Piper does not understand Marxism very well or what it did. He has to. He studies history. I, I would think that anyone who studies history just would have to have an immediate pushback against any type of positive presentation of, of anything that would be in smacks of Marxism. The truth is not uniquely Christian. A little leaven leavens a whole lump. Bad company ruins good morals. Whether you embrace that company in your house or on social media, it corrupts. The, there are sins that lead people into more and more ungodliness as their talk spreads like gangrene. There is a character connection between rulers and subjects. When the Bible describes a king by saying he sinned and made Israel to sin, it does not mean he twisted their arm. It means he influ- his influence shaped the people. That's calling of a leader. Take the lead in giving shape to the character of your people so it happens for good or for ill. Well, um... I'm not sure that that is as relevant in our day because we're talking worldview issues here. And Donald Trump did not inculcate a worldview. The left has, through our educational system, through our, through our courts, through our universities. That's what's led to the bloodshed. That's what leads to the, to the injection of hormones into eight-year-old bodies. That's a worldview. And it started under Barack Obama... And he wasn't doing it. He was outwardly moral. Is it not baffling that so many Christians seem to be sure that they are saving human lives and freedoms by treating as minimal the destructive effects of the spreading gangrene of high-profile, high-handed, culture-shaping sin? This is the false dichotomy. This is where Dr. Piper is simply wrong. You're wrong, brother. You are creating a false dichotomy here. You don't seem to understand... Or, or, or no one is treating as minimal the destructive effects of spreading gangrene of high-profile, high-handed, culture-shaping sin. But the high-profile, high-handed, culture-shaping sin is the influx of secular humanism through the universities and through our government and the leftists who have taken positions of authority in your own state under your own nose. They're the ones refusing to prosecute criminals 
in the streets that are burning buildings down. They're the ones who are promoting the idea. Joe Biden, last year, before the riots started, said that the civil rights issue of our day is transgender rights. You can't see a difference between Donald Trump's arrogance, which is sinful before God, and that corruption, which is not only corrupting Joe Biden, but destroying innocent little lives? I'm left speechless. You're making these the same thing? This point has special relevance for Christians. Freedom and life are precious. We all want to live to be free to pursue happiness. But if our freedoms, even our lives, are threatened or taken, the essence of our identity in Christ, the certainty of our everlasting joy with Christ, and the holiness and love that we have for which we have been saved by Christ, none of these is lost with the loss of life and freedom. So who's minimizing what now? It almost sounds, it almost sounds like you could read this, that yeah, sure, the Marxists might throw us all in gulags. And yet they might murder a hundred and they might murder two hundred and fifty million people this time. But we're all going to heaven. It's worse than Donald Trump swears. What? What what? Therefore, Christians communicate a falsehood to unbelievers who are also baffled when we act as if policies and laws that protect life and freedom are more precious than being a certain kind of person. Brother Piper, it is evil in God's sight to teach and promote that mankind is an animal without transcendent meaning. It is evil to deny the existence of the Creator. It is evil to deny that the Creator made us male and female. It is evil to teach that marriage can be between two men and two, female, two women. It is evil to teach that you can determine your gender when God has said otherwise. Which is more directly destructive to a wider number of people? Dr. Piper. And it is truly evil when the government takes your children from you to cram this into their heads, which is what Kamala Harris will do within a matter of weeks of taking office, if elected, sir. Donald J. Trump won't do that. Oh, well, I'll take that back. I suppose the possibility exists, but Harris and Biden have promised to do it. Have you heard about the Equality Act, sir? The end of our religious freedom in the United States. Have you heard of it, sir? Do you think that that is actually equal in its sinfulness to the personal issues that Donald Trump plainly has? I've said on this program, I don't like listening to him. He is an egomaniac. No question about it. And that does open the possibility that in the second term, he could be completely different than he was in the first. It's unlikely. But it's possible. But the point is, the other side has promised to corrupt our youth. Has promised to take away our freedoms. Has promised to take away our religious liberties. And shut us down. They've promised it. How can you equate these two things?
Because that's what you did. You equated these things. The church is paying dearly and will continue to pay for our communicating this falsehood year after year. The justifications for ranking the destructive effects of persons below the destructive effects of policies ring hollow. That's the error right there. There it is. The justifications for ranking the destructive effects of persons below the destructive effects of policies ring hollow. This is the false dichotomy. This, sir, is where you are wrong. Deadly wrong. Deadly wrong. We are talking about the policies that led to the murder of 125 million people in the last century. How can you not see that? Dr. Piper, travel to Germany, travel to Berlin, visit the Stasi prison, and then come back and repeat this stuff. I find it bewildering that Christians can be so sure that greater damage will be done by bad judges, bad laws, and bad policies. How about an anti-Christian worldview? How about that? Than is being done by the culture-infecting spread of the gangrene of sinful self-exaltation and boasting and strife-stirring aristocrats. I am sorry. I missed how... Minneapolis got turned into Beirut by boastfulness. I saw how it happened through a Marxist worldview and violence. That's where you are. How did you miss that? You really think that Donald Trump's arrogance is what is causing our current national problems? And not the fundamental, full-on promotion of critical race theory? Intersectionality? Have you been in the universities, sir? Are you listening to what's being taught? Do you know what's going on at Union Theological Seminary? I, I'm, I am stunned. And I'm, th- I'm not the only one. There's a lot of us sitting around going, uh, what happened? What, what, what? How do they know this? Seriously, where do they get the sure knowledge that judges' laws and policies are less destructive than boastful factiousness in high places? Well, it seems really obvious to all of us, sir, that it is an anti-Christian worldview that dehumanizes mankind and exalts the state that's the problem, not Donald Trump's arrogance. That seems really obvious because you know what? Richard Nixon was just as arrogant as Donald Trump. He just didn't Promote it. He was just as foul-mouthed as Donald Trump. Johnson. Oh, they all were. I mean, the, there's nothing new. It's just Trump does it more boldly. The danger is the overthrow of the system that has given us the freedoms that gave you, sir. The freedoms to build that huge church and that school and to do the missions work and the publishing work, which will come to an end under the Equality Act, sir. You say you're baffled? Sir, you have baffled a lot of us, big time, with what you just wrote. What about abortion? No, what about worldview? 
Where does the wickedness of defending child killing come from? It comes from hearts of self-absorbed arrogance and boasting. That's part of it, but sir, why, why are you not sensitive to worldview issues? Abortion makes sense in a secular world. There's no transcendent value to life. We're all just chemicals fizzing. It comes from hearts that are insubordinate to God. You mean in rebellion against God. In other words, it comes from the very character that so many Christian leaders are treating as comparatively innocuous. What? Because they think Roe and SCOTUS and Planned Parenthood are more pivotal, more decisive battlegrounds. They are. They are. What is influencing the violence in our society? You really think that it's Donald Trump? You really think that it's just people running around trying to be like Trump? Rather than acting upon a worldview, a secular worldview that fundamentally destroys their moral capacities? I think Roe is an evil decision. I think Planned Parenthood is a codename for baby killing and historically at least ethnic cleansing. And I think it is baffling and presumptuous to assume that pro-abortion policies kill more people than culture-saturating pro-self-pride. There it is. John Piper equating culture-saturating pro-self-pride and identifying that as having its origin in Donald J. Trump. Now, is there culture-saturating pro-self-pride? Yes, but it's the rebellion of secularists who no longer believe there's a creator and deny the very foundations upon which we identify mankind as being made in the image of God. And it's a fulfillment of their sexual lust and their promotion of their own self-autonomy. But that comes from the worldview issues. When a leader models self-absorbed, self-exalting boastfulness, which I... You couldn't make this... Why didn't you make this application six years ago? Did you? Maybe you did. Maybe I missed it. But I, I don't remember the one about Obama. He models the most deadly behavior in the world. He points his nation to destruction, destruction of more kinds than we can imagine. So I guess that then you would apply this to Mao and Stalin and the others, right? And hence Biden and, and, and Harris, who are promoting the same stuff, I hope. It is naive to think that a man can be effectively pro-life and manifestly consistently the character traits that lead to death, temporal and eternal. I agree. I agree. Not sure what that has to do with this, but I agree. Um... That looks like it was added later. I wonder if there was an addition that was made. But anyway, the, the, the cutout quotes um, were what caught my attention. It's baffling to assume that pro-abortion policies kill more people than a culture saturating pro-self-pride. We are in the middle of a holocaust of babies. But Donald J. Trump's pride is equal to that. There's an equal sign. They're the same thing. No, they're not. No, they're not. We all know that. I don't know what, I don't know what brings this out. 
I, I don't get it. We've all benefited from John Piper's materials, but there are times when he a couple of years ago when he did the hey if someone breaks in attacks my wife I you know I'm I'm not going to do anything type stuff that I wrote back and said nah, that's not what the Bible teaches <laughs> no that's not what the Bible teaches uh, that that's not that's not in accordance with God's law that's not in accordance with no no so sometimes and this was face plantingly bad and what ten days before before an election. I don't know what he's saying as far as what his, elect- his choice is going to be. It's, he's plainly not voting for Donald Trump. Is he voting for Joe Biden? I, I, I can't imagine that. I sure hope not. But is he, is he joining with those that are just trying, to, just trying to push enough of a door open to maybe, you know, maybe we can, we can get him in? I hope not. Maybe it's just a third-party thing. Maybe it's total abstaining, even though it said at the beginning it sounded like he was voting. I don't know. I don't know. But I know that the, the number of false equivocations, the ignoring of the fundamental difference in worldview, this is a worldview election. Russell Moore was with uh, Dr. Edmondson, and Russell Moore was laughing at the people who are saying that this is the most important election of our lifetime. And they're right. That is, that was said in 2016 and it was said in 2012 and it was said in 2008 and four and 2000. Yeah, that I get it. I get it. But this is the first time we are voting and our vote could determine whether we ever get to vote again. That wasn't true in 2016. It's true now. It's true now. Kamala Harris has said, California is the model for what the United States should be. And if you're a Republican, you know what that means in California. And that's what she wants, and that's what they will do. So, if you think the Constitution's a bad, terrible, horrible thing, if you think that secular socialism is a great thing, you know who to vote for. But I do not understand. And we, <laughs> when we all meet in the gulag, we're going to have some interesting conversations with those of you who said, oh, hey, this is, yeah, we, yeah this is what we got to do. This is the direction, direction we got to go. But we'll, we'll have some interesting conversations if that's what God brings to pass. But there you go. Uh, that which killed over 125 million people in the last century is so evil that the question that any Christian has to ask is, if I can see that coming, what is my duty before God? If I see even one child on a railroad track, do I risk my life to try to get them off before the train hits? If I see 125 million people on the trail, railroad track, what do I do? Do I just say it's not my job? What do I do? That's the question. I'm not telling you how to answer it, but you have to, you have to deal with it. You have to think about it. You have to think about it. Okay. All right. There you go. 
we uh, we got through it all. <laughs> and there's a debate tonight. I understand. Yes, going to be starting soon. I would imagine. Donald Trump, the big guy. That's right. It almost sounds like a like a little garage band. Donald Trump, the big guy. Um, well, I'm sure there'll be some interesting stuff that's going to come out of that. Uh, I, I'm, I'm I'm sure of it. So, Lord willing, we get together next week. Lord willing, we get get together next week. Honestly, honestly, from looking at my forecast on my phone, from my oh. <laughs> No wonder it didn't go off today. I turned it off before the program started. Looking at the forecast on my phone, it is possible that next Tuesday, the predicted high could be in the 60s in Phoenix. And we, the, the, the skies may develop a leak. That would be really amazing because that hasn't happened in so long. I can't. I can't remember. Let, let me just look and see if there's still... Now, there's a reason why I would be excited about this. Yep, 68 on Monday, 66 on Tuesday. No, but, but, for, but 40% chance of rain Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. So I'm not... I can't be riding. Mm-mm. Wednesday, Wednesday. But that does mean 66 degrees is Coogee weather. Yes! Yes! Yes, that's Coogee weather. You better believe it's Coogee weather. <laughs> Rich is like, oh, man. So, Rich is the only person in Phoenix that wishes for a longer summer just, just because of that. <laughs> All right. Thanks for watching the program. We will see you next time. God bless. <laughs>